Welcome back, Secret Squad. I hope that your week is getting off to a great start. I'm back with another episode of I've Got a Secret that I think you're going to just love. This is another installment in my series, The Secret to Turning Your Dreams into a Reality. Lisa Bilyeu's career trajectory has been an astonishing arc from housewife to entrepreneur. After years of being a stay-at-home wife, Lisa made the leap into co-founding Quest Nutrition with her husband, which they recently sold for $1 billion. Quest is a company that specializes in protein supplements, protein snacks, and their famous Quest Protein Bars. It was named number two on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in 2014. Lisa wasn't done there and then went on to co-found Impact Theory Studios, a digital media production company with more than 5 million people in its ecosystem. She hosts the Women of Today YouTube channel and podcast and remains dedicated to empowering women in business. Wow, that's a lot, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. You are so impressive. Wow, thank you. I I think the same of you. I have been, um, when I was at home for eight years, I very regularly watched daytime television. So would absolutely see your husband and yourself um, on, you know, the show. And I was just, you know, um, enamored by the fact that you guys were, you know, um, equals, you were working together, you had intellectual conversations, you were your own person. And so, yeah, this is super exciting for me because I remember (laughs) literally being that person at home that was utterly miserable, didn't know how to get out. And so like now here I am talking to you, it's a a bit surreal. The fact that you guys were, you know, um, equals, you were working together, you had intellectual conversations, you were your own person. And so, yeah, this is super exciting for me because I remember (laughs) literally being that person at home that was utterly miserable, didn't know how to get out. And so like now here I am talking to you, it's 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 a bit surreal. Well, I just have chills because I'm so impressed with you. I'm so humbled by you for you to be saying that to me. Uh, I, I just, I, I've i been reading all about you for so long and I've been waiting so long to meet you. I wish we were in the same room together. I'm thrilled that we're doing this, even if it's virtual, but because I couldn't wait to spend time with you and hear all about you and your life and to think that you being at home for eight years, being, of course, a loving, supporting wife, and then you went into the business and look at you today. I want to hear all about everything. What was it? What were you thinking at home that led up to you deciding to start your business with your husband? Yeah, so it's a really interesting. The whole story was like, I kind of stumbled into one thing to another. So I went to film school. I had big dreams. I thought I was going to make it in Hollywood. I was going to be a big movie director. So I came to the States for two months to study and I met my husband. Back then, obviously, he was just a guy. So, so I was like, oh, this is be a great summer fling. Like, you know, I'll go home yeah. and when I'm 90, I'll have a great story to tell the grandkids <laughs> about how grandmother had a fling with this hot American guy. <laughs> Not realizing that we would absolutely fall head over heels in love with each other. Um, and that was 20 years ago. 
Um, we got married. We had these big dreams. I was brought up Greek Orthodox. So a big part for me was there was a part of me that had these big dreams, but there was definitely an instinctual part of me that just fell into be a good wife, support your husband. And I did. I absolutely fell into that trap. And initially, my husband was like, all right, I'm going to go make enough money. Oh, I'm going to work for a year. I'm going to make millions of dollars and then we'll make movies. I was like, oh, that sounds like a great plan, right? Like, how hard <laughs> yeah. is it to make money? Super naive, 22 years old. And um, and so I was like, cool, I'll stay at home. We looked at Steve Jobs, in fact, and we said, who, who are all the incredibly successful people and how do they act on a day-to-day basis? Because people look at them on a big scale, but I uh-huh. like to see, like, what does an average Wednesday look like for them? Because it's in those moments that they're making decisions and doing things that I believe allow them to be as successful as they are. So we looked at Steve Jobs and we looked at just the fact, simple thing, he just wore the same color T-shirt. He always wore black. Why? Because if you read about him, he says, like, I don't want to make more decisions than I have to. The brain only has a certain amount of clear decisions you can make in a day. And so he's like, why would I waste it on deciding what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear? So that stemmed from, this is amazing. All right, babe, I'm going to decide what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. You're going to go off and work. I'm going to take care of the house. This is a 50-50 partnership. I can own my responsibility. I can bet be super excited about it. And it would just be for a year. Eight years later, I'm still (laughs) doing the same thing. And when I look back now, I call it the mundane purgatory because I was, it was just mundane enough that it wasn't torturous enough that I was going to change, right? When people really hit rock bottom, you hear that's when people change. But for me, every day was just mundane enough that I didn't make any, I didn't, change my life until my husband one day after eight years came home and he was very miserable with the company that he was help trying to build with his other partners and he came home with his business partners and they're like we want to start a new company we really hate what we're doing we're absolutely miserable as the good wife would you mind helping out so I'm like of course like I'm Greek orthodox I've been trained be good to your husband support them you're the neck they're the head is what like my grandmother likes to say (laughs) So I was like, of course, babe, whatever you need. So it became, well, you don't have anything. You don't have a job. So do you mind just shipping the bars from our living room floor? Oh, hey, you don't have a job. Do you mind just making the bars with rolling pins and knives? And us and all the wives would get together and we would literally make bars with rolling pins and knives. And we were hand sealing each and every single bar. Now, I was going into it. I'm just going to help my husband, but we had committed our house. So if the company failed, we lost our house. And that was a very conscious decision. My husband came in and said, babe, you know, I'm ambitious. I'm an ambitious man. That's who you married. I really want to start this new business. But if we lose, the house goes under. So I said, I knew who you were when I married you. A house means nothing to me. Let's, Let's do it. Let's roll the dice. But of course, the fear of losing the house Every time we were growing one, you know, day after day after day, I was just like, well, I can't lose my house. I can't lose my house. I've got to be Uh a good supportive wife. I can't give up. I can't turn to my husband and tell him that I'm not capable because he's turning to me for support. So I valued that. And what I didn't expect is we would grow 57,000%. So what that did is that took me from shipping from my living room floor, thinking I was just going to help my husband and his business partners out to within two years, I had 10,000 square foot of storage space. I had 40 employees just underneath me in the shipping department, and we were shipping out $80 million of inventory. And I 
every step for those two years, I had no clue what I was doing. Oh, wow. So would you say that it's really your desire to not only support your husband, but within you, you had that, would it be drive to succeed or your need to not fail? Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) At the time, it was my need to not fail. The fear of losing my house was way stronger than my ego dent every time I met my inadequacies. Well, let me ask you this. At what point did you define your role in the company? Yeah, it was about a year and a half in. So it was when I was, um, I started to realize like, oh, I've actually got a purpose now. Before I didn't feel like, and when people talk about purpose, for me, it really means what is getting me out of bed in the morning? And oh, that was actually what I was going to say is the company, the brand, it was helping people lose weight. And so of course we were getting a lot of people saying thank you, but it was the the people that from the anorexic community that were reaching out saying, thank you for your product. I now feel okay with having calories again. Like those were the stories that I was like, I didn't expect. I had a mother who was a, um, had a child who was diabetic. And she said for the first five years of my child's life, I felt like a bad mother because I kept having to take away candy from him. And since your product, I now feel like a good mother. And it was like, so it went from the fear of losing my house to, wow, I'm actually making a difference in the world. These letters, these real stories, my efforts, every morning when I wake up and I figure out something that I don't know or that I face something that my ego gets dented, I just remind myself of that mother, that anorexic. And I'm like, well, hell, Lisa, are you going to let your ego about feeling stupid, right? Being in a meeting that maybe you don't know something or, you know, talking to someone when you're still learning. It's like, are you going to let that get in the way of the impact? And it's okay if you say yes, but you have to ask yourself the question and so I was just honest and asked myself the question I was like no that doesn't sit well with me on my deathbed I do not want to be that person that was like yeah I didn't do I didn't create impact because I was so scared to like look at my own ego so I was like I'm not going to be that person so over time so after about that year and a half was when my my and my motives completely changed Overnight, I was like, I love what I do. I don't know if I want children anymore. I don't want to put food out of food. I don't want to cook for my husband anymore. I don't want to put clothes out for him. And then it became a whole different, you know, way of then approaching my relationship and then how I deal with business with my husband and things like that. So that's amazing that what a difference a year and a half made in your life after eight years. Did did it surprise you that 18 months after you started helping with the company that that you had become that person was it a surprise to you or did you feel like you were really that person all along oh that's a good question no it absolutely surprised me that was the biggest um, mindset shift in of my life and what has allowed me to keep growing to keep having a growth mindset because I was so um sensitive I was, you know, bullied as a kid. So I was super sensitive. Um, I was picked on. So I was, I was always trying to be liked. I was always trying to be right. And I was always trying to be, to fit in. And after I went into business, I'm like, all of those things that I want can't exist in business. You're not always going to be right. You're always going to face things that you don't know. You're always going to be in meetings, hopefully where you don't know everything. And there are people in the room that do know more than you. Like that's the hope in business. That's 
to me how you grow. And so I was like, if I really want this, I have to accept that all these things I've held tight to as a way of protecting myself, I actually have to burn all of that to the ground. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And and so I just went in and was like, all right, ego out the window. I am now the learner. And if I can attach my um, self-esteem to being the learner, now no one can ever tear me down. Oh. Ever. Imagine you say to me, Lisa, you don't know that. Lisa, you're rubbish that. And I'm the learner. I'd be like, amazing. Thank you. Now I'm going to go learn it. You've just helped me be more powerful. Now imagine I walk into a room and 20 people know more than I do. And I'm the person that knows the least but I'm the learner. Do I feel badly about myself? No. Well, that is such powerful advice you're sharing with the listener because what I'm hearing is that you're saying no one knows everything. And I feel like that's something we should always remind ourselves so we can always learn something. You know, I tell myself that and I, I raise my children to believe that there's always something you can learn. And I love that you said you became the learner. I just, I love that. It's to me, that's so powerful because when you have that mindset that I don't know everything and there's always something out there that I can learn that will help me grow and I'm just going to sit back and be the learner. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And it really came from, um, it was my actually my husband's way of thinking initially um, because, yeah, I was very sensitive and my, you know, ego got dented a lot. And the second my ego was dented, my walls come up and barriers come up and you cannot build a business. You cannot have a long lasting relationship if all you do is defend yourself. Like uh-huh. you just can't. And then I go to like earning credibility. I'm like, okay, I want to earn my credibility in a certain space. It's never just given. So let's say me and you are in the same room and someone asks a relationship question. Well, I've been married for 18 years. I think I have some credibility, but I'll be like, oh my God, no, you've got to ask her. She's got way more credibility than I do. So it all comes to who has the most credibility and what can you learn from them? Like they can, they can be an amazing teacher to you. Yes. Instead of seeing them as a competition, which I think some people do. Yeah. I think that's a shame. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, it's so wonderful when you take away the need to compete and and instead have that attitude of being a team player. And I've also, raising my my boys, and Philip and I both have this attitude of, I don't know what I don't know, and Mm -hmm. I want to find out what it is. Yeah, and I just remind myself, and I love that because I remind myself when I was a kid, I was so worried about being bullied in class that when I didn't understand something, I didn't put my hand up. Now, as an adult, I want to go back and choke that little Lisa out (laughs) for doing that because the amount I could have learned, the amount like I could have known how much more like powerful. And when I say powerful, I mean within myself. I don't mean in the world. Right. So the amount of power I could have had over my own mind. And so now literally, I don't care where I am. I don't care what interview I'm with. If someone says something, if you say a word I don't understand, or if you say a phrase that I don't get, I'm just going to stop the interview. So sorry, actually, can you explain that to me? Uh-huh. Now, everyone else may be like, oh my God, I can't believe she doesn't know it. But again, I'm the learner. So I don't care what people think. Oh, I love that. You would not believe how many questions I start with. You may think it's stupid, but I don't know the answer and I'm going to ask it. So I'll just, exactly. I just put it out there. There's nothing wrong with that. that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't embarrass me Agreed. to say it. It doesn't bother me to say it. I, I'll be the first one <laughs> to put it out there. This may be a stupid question, but I've got to ask it. 
Did it ever bother you out of curiosity or was that something um, that you developed as you got older? I just, over the years, I guess, I'm the youngest of five children. I have a twin brother, so we're the youngest of five children. And I don't know, I guess being the youngest and having so many people looking over after me, you know, taking care of me and we were twins. And so I'll just say we were just nurtured and and looked after by my three older sisters and my father and mother. I, I don't know. I always felt like, I could, it was okay to just do and say and ask and, and, uh, I just was pampered or whatever my whole life. I felt, I felt like it was okay to, to ask questions and to speak up. So that's amazing. I I just, yeah. Cause I I just realized that like, I started to do it, the more confidence I started to build within myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, it kind of goes hand in hand, which is why I was actually curious to know if that came with age, because I know a lot of people actually do, um, you know, um, struggle with that. And I think Mm -hmm. that it does come down to building confidence enough to not worry what people think when you ask the question. Yeah. You know, I will admit though, I was very shy growing up. I, uh, at home, not so much, but, but I will admit to as I grew up, I, I was always pretty, pretty shy. So, but within myself, I felt like it was okay to ask questions and, and, uh, that, that one thing that never bothered me or to admit, I didn't know something. So explain, explain to me. (laughs) I will admit though, I don't let Philip be Dr. Phil unless I ask. He can't Dr. Phil me unless I ask him to. (laughs) Do you have like a code you say like, okay, now it's time to Dr. Phil me? I do. Or like, I, don't- well, he just knows not to Dr. Phil me, but I'll say, okay, <laughs> okay, I need you to explain something to me right now. Or, or sometimes I'll say, just give me one word. I just need one word. <laughs> I love that. And that's so important in a relationship where you have a certain way of communicating with each other because my husband's my business partner. We so like, it's easier for him to just do both. And for me, it's like, I need my husband and then I need my business partner. I don't like them when they overlap a lot. And so I actually came up with a strategy where if, um, if I had finished work for the day, because he works way more than I do, Mm -hmm. like literally 24 seven that man uh-huh. and so I he would come in in my off time and start bothering me with work stuff yeah. so I said look babe we need this fight we need this like separation uh-huh. so we decided have you ever been to a Brazilian restaurant I'm sorry with the meat a Brazilian restaurant oh yes so you know with the meat where they bring meat around the table and yes. you have like a little thing that says like I want more meat or I don't want meat so I actually came up with that idea where I had this little thing and I did a lamp and I was like, all right, babe, when the lamp is on, it means I'm in personal time, which means you cannot talk to me about work. If the lamp is off, it means you can talk to me at any point about work. Perfect. And having that communication. So I love hearing that you guys do that. I love it. Yes, I love it. And, and yeah, it's just the rule. Don't doctor film me unless I ask for it. You know, like, okay, I'm going to need, I need Dr. Phil right now. And then it's very limited. It's the, and when I ask for it, it's really not for me. It's it's something that I'm dealing with with someone else. So mm. he knows, but but he just knows not to do it unless I ask for it. Sometimes it might be for me, but that's great. Like yeah, no, Doctor Phil. <laughs> 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 Let me ask you this: I see a lot of brilliant, qualified people who still experience imposter syndrome. Did you ever mm. struggle with this? Oh yeah, I still do. Um, and the funny thing is, and maybe actually, 
Maybe I'm about to come to a realization in real time. I don't think I struggle with imposter syndrome. I just accept imposter syndrome. Uh And maybe that's the big difference is that for me, right? I think like when you do one thing and you've done it like, and it succeeds, it gives you that confidence to do it again. I think for me, putting on the imposter hat allows me to take that first step when I'm not confident to do something. Mm -hmm. And I just tell myself it's okay. And I go back in, right? Like you don't know this, go in. So like, let's say my show Women of Impact as a host. I've never been a host before. So I just go, okay, I'm going to put on my host hat, which Uh doesn't actually exist because I've got no experience, but I'm going to learn along the way. And eventually that imposter will start to fade out. And instead of judging myself and holding myself, you know, worried about it or say that it's a bad thing, I've somewhat just accepted it Mm -hmm. and allowed that to be my way of entry into something new that I may be fearful of. And you know what? I really don't even like the word imposter because I really very much like like you, like what you just described in yourself. Because if I'm not qualified or I'm not experienced, it's not going to keep me from doing it. I'm still going Mm. to do it uh, and give it my best shot because I really within myself believe that there isn't anything I can't do. Maybe I can't do it well at first, or maybe I'll never do it well, but I'm certainly going to try. I am certainly going to give it my best shot. So I'm one of those that refuse to give up or refuse to not even try. That's just not me. I actually really like what you said about the fact that we use the word imposter. I think that absolutely sets us up for um, failure. Uh-huh. I'm such an advocate for like the words you use are important. The words you tell yourself, the words you say out loud. Um, the second you say, yeah, I'm really tired. Well, what are you telling yourself? Your body's like, oh, cool. I can relax. Like anything like that. I so believe in self-signaling. Yes. And you're absolutely right. Imposter is a terrible word. It is a terrible use. word. It is. So, it's, 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 words are so powerful. And I think we do all need to choose our words so carefully, especially when we're speaking to ourselves. Because I, I have conversation. This may, this may make a lot of people think odd of me, but I don't care. I have a lot of conversations with myself. Do you? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I, I put in. So what I've done over time is I've recognized, okay, the negative thought, I cannot stop. Like, I cannot get rid of it. It's it's still there. So I've said, okay, instead of seeing it as it being a negative, what if I greet it as my friend? So, hey, negative thought, you're my friend. What are you here to tell me? And so now as it starts telling me, I start going, okay, the words it's saying is actually there to help me. So again, going to the reframing of things, it's like reframing how you're your thinking. And then what I do is I say, okay, I've, I noticed I beat myself up after let's say a meeting where maybe it's got heated. And usually after that, I beat myself up. Cause I'm like, you should have done this. I could have done that better. I should have said that. Right. And the entire dialogue in my head is I should have, could have, would have. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that doesn't freaking help. So what I should do is, and so in those moments I say, okay, the next time Lisa, you tell yourself you should have, that's a signal to do a record skip, right? And then and then come back around and reframe it and say, next time I'm going to do this. Yes. Instead of, I should have done that. And so now what I do is I have that conversation in my head where I go, I should, oh, Lisa, hang on. You told yourself, don't say should. Okay, what did you tell yourself? You told yourself that you would flip the, the framing. Okay, let's flip the framing. And so 
I do it all the time. I think it's super freaking powerful. And too. like you said, if people want to make fun of me, go ahead. <laughs> I use it as a superpower. That's right. So it's like only... It, to me, it can only help. So why not embrace it? That's exactly right. Because you know how, that, that's exactly what I do. Like like what you just described, I call having an autopsy on my <laughs> meeting. So, okay. And, and I'll just call it, like Philip has a list of what he calls life laws. And what applies to this experience is you cannot change what you do not acknowledge. So yes. yeah, if it's negative, so what? You, if you acknowledge it, then you can change it. Yeah. Cannot 100%. change what you do not acknowledge. And then even, I'm going to take that a step further, because even once you acknowledge it, some people say it's impossible. And that's where then people then stop, right? Again, it's the impossible. It's like, no, some things are very possible. You're just not willing to do it. So what I do is I always say, let's play the no BS game. What would it actually take? And then decide. So, you know, if you want to be, I always use like the best analogy. I was sitting watching a movie with my husband and I'll, and someone was playing playing the piano and I was like oh wouldn't it be amazing to be like world-class pianist and he turned to me and he's like you know what you still could be and in that moment I was like oh my god yes you're right thank you for correcting my mindset because the truth is Robin if I stopped my job completely if I never did any interviews if I was never present for my husband if I stayed home and played the piano for 10 hours a day for 20 years do you think I'd be pretty damn good at it oh yes but yes. I don't think but it's do necessary. I choose Right. So then go to what's the no BS? If I really want to get that good and that's what it's actually going to take, do I want to do it? No. So now when people say, do you play the piano? I don't say no. I say no, I ch- I've chosen not to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because it's all about how you frame things in your mind. If you say, no, I can't, you're telling yourself you're incapable of doing it. But if you tell yourself you've chosen to not put the time and effort into it, you're telling yourself, you know what? You can do it if you want to, but you choose not to. That's empowering. That's exactly right. And also you can give yourself the gift of not having to be a world-class pianist. You can just be a pianist. You can just learn to play for enjoyment. Right. And that's actually a perfect example of saying there's scales, right? So it's like people is like, I don't want to be in business because it's too stressful or, you know, I have to work 24 seven. Well, it depends. If you want to build an empire, you know, conglomerate, yes, you may have to, you know, grind for 20 years. But if you want to build a mum and pup store where you you open it from Monday to Fridays and it's for your friends and the close neighbours, you can still do it. You can still but do it. What you put into it is different. But people go, "Do you want to run a business?" No, because it's too much. It's like the scales. Exactly what you just That's said, right. which I love. That's right. What kind of advice would you give to the women out there listening that are at home now and do want to get out and get into the workforce? Maybe start their own company, start their own business. What kind of advice would you tell them? Maybe the first step to doing that. Yeah. Um. Through my whole experience of being a housewife and getting into into entrepreneurship, it really is my realization that I could become whatever and whoever I wanted. And I had to stop waiting for someone else to give that to me. So my whole, um, every time I, you know, do an, um, an intro or I talk on my show, my, my tagline is be the hero 
of your own life. And that's what I always hammer home is you are your own hero. Don't wait for anyone else. Now, my husband is literally the most important thing in my life. I would burn my business to the ground before I ever disappointed my husband. But on a daily basis, he's not my priority. My business is. So when it comes to what I'm trying to do in life, while I love my husband, he's not my hero. While I will give everything to that man, he's not here to save me. Mm -hmm. I save myself. I'm my own hero. And so whatever dream that is, whoever I want to become, I have the power. And so that's what my message that I always try to say. It's not even about going into business. It's about, guys, whoever's freaking listening right now, whatever you're doing, if you're not happy, you really are the hero of your own life. So what does happiness actually look like? And not like be embarrassed by it. Like if you want to be a trampolinist, like, and that's actually going to make you happy, figure out how you get there. Like just own it and realize it's possible, even if you have no experience. So what's the first step to be honest, Robin? It's all about the belief. It's about what are you telling yourself? Because it's always, you know, people want like the first action, but really it comes with the mind. Because if you think you can't, if you don't think you deserve happiness, if you don't think there's another life out there for you, no matter what I say, you're not going to do. That's so true. So the first thing you must do is identify in your mind and in your heart what it is you want and believe that you can have it. Yeah, it does. And you don't have to BS yourself. It's not going to be easy. Like whatever you think, the chances are it's going to be hard. But the belief that it's possible if you're willing to do it It all starts there. Wow. Well, no one out there listening can see this, but I'm wearing a jacket today. It's a white blazer. And you can see that I have these two ribbons coming off the jacket. Mm -hmm. They're attached to the jacket as part of it. Do you know what this says on here? It says, be leaving, be living. I love that. (laughs) I do too. You were just saying that. It's it's, amazing. It's actually on my jacket. I'm feeling the connection here, Robin. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? So, you know what? I want to take a little break and and do one thing. There are two things I do on every podcast. And the first thing is a drink of the day. And so Ah. we picked today something that's called the Citrus Quest. Wow. (laughs) I love that. It's amazing. And what's in it is one ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of orange juice, some pineapple juice, two ounces of ginger ale, and two dashes of bitters one fresh pineapple wedge, and one fresh orange wheel. 
So you combine all of the juices and the bitters into a shaker with ice. And you shake it for 10 seconds, and then you empty the contents into a glass. And you can add the ginger ale and then gently stir it. Put the garnish with the fresh pineapple and the wedge and the orange wheel and enjoy it. And if you'd like to make this mocktail a cocktail, I suggest adding vodka. But if not, here you have it. This, it looks beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. All right, so Robin, next time we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do an interview in person and we'll make one of those together. But I'm, I'm going to have to insist on adding the vodka and uh, we'll have a little glass together, girl. I, I totally agree with you. I think that would be <laughs> so much fun. I'm going to show it on I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com and everyone will be able to see the drink finished and you'll see the recipe and you'll also see the empty glass because it is one of the cutest glasses I've ever, (laughs) I've ever had. So, yeah. So, okay. Now tell us about how Quest grew in the beginning stages. So was it slow or was it fast? I know you just, you talked about it, but. Yeah, um, it was rapid. So we, um, it, this was before social media really was kind of around. They had just Facebook. Um, so there was two main things that we really did that I think allowed us. And look, there is, I don't like using the word luck, but um, is it Oprah that I think says it's preparation meets opportunity? So it was absolutely that. It was, we were around at the right time. No one had used social media or you was using Facebook as a marketing tool. Um, my husband is a marketing genius, in my opinion. Um, so he was just like, look, businesses need to feel personal. Um, he's all about connection. It's like we have to connect with our customers. So first of all, we, for about, I think, three months, we sent free protein bars out to everybody in the fitness industry. Oh, wow. We actually probably sent some to your husband back then. I bet so. It's the chance. We probably did. So we literally said everybody in the health and fitness industry, all the really high level people that had a voice. And again, this was before social media, but um, had a voice in the fitness space. We're going to give them free protein bars and we're going to put in a little letter. And on the letter, it said, here's a free product. Please look at the ingredients. You know, they're very like they're very clean. There was no product on the market out, out there like that at the time. And we said, if you like the product, please talk about us. If you don't like the product, Please, please talk about us. We want your authentic opinion and your, uh, your your authentic comments back. And no one had ever really done that type of marketing either. So people were like, well, just because they were so sweet that they don't mind us being negative, like, yeah, we'll try it. And so over time, people were trying it. They were finding it really nice. There was no product on the market that had that type of nutritional uh-huh. um, information. People were putting sugar in it, but we found a way to not put sugar in it. And so... Over time, we went to the really high people at the top. And what they were doing is they were talking to the people under them. So let's say you had people like your husband, Uh right? He's talking about our bar, let's Uh say. So then people listening to him, let's say it's athletes. So it's like, Uh then you've got the athletes. Oh, he said about this healthy food. So then you've got the athletes. The athletes are telling their trainers. The trainers then tell their other clients who are your everyday person. So that's how we ended up getting to your the mums of the world and the mums were telling their friends. And so before you knew it, even though we had started marketing to the really high elite athletes, it became a product that everybody was using from 
you know, your teenager, your athlete to, you know, your everyday human being. And so that was massive. Wow. And then just social media, uh -huh. because we were so honest and we kept saying, hey, you tell us your story. Because most brands at the time were all about them. Look how amazing we are. Look how good we are. Uh -huh. But all of our marketing on Facebook was like, look at how amazing this person did with the product. Look at how amazing this person was with losing the weight. Look at how incredible. And so everybody was celebrating each other. And so for us, it wasn't about our company. It wasn't about who we were. It wasn't about even the product itself. It was about the people who it was helping and their stories. And so the, it just it just caught fire yes. and you know we would we started doing um content around it we were you know one of the first companies that were doing social content where we were hiring influencers to do um cooking shows so we were just really ahead of the game um and at the time there were like 1500 protein bars on the market everyone literally told us you are idiots for doing a protein bar. Like they do not succeed. The mark, the protein bar market is collapsing. This was in 2010 as well. So everyone was like, no one's going to spend $3 on a protein bar. Like we had everyone telling us you are crazy. But because we connected with people, because we became part of people's lives, people's stories, people took ownership over, oh my God, you eat a Quest bar? So do I. It became like this thing where people were bonding. It way surpassed just, you know, like any of our expectations and the growth was just incredible. And um, it not only became the number one protein bar on the market, it changed the protein bar market in as a whole. So Vitamin Shop and Whole Foods, um, not sorry, not Whole Foods, Vitamin Shop and um, what's the other, uh, GNC, yes, all of yes. these, they literally, they would say, guys, not only are we just selling out of your product, our entire protein bar um you know, shelving yes. has completely changed. They've like, you've quadrupled our, you know, um, our, our profit just in this category. So we went, we took it from a zero to one. And I think that that there's very few things that become zero to one. And those are the things that you see, I think that really make a global impact when you're taking something from that. Wow. I love that. You know what? I, I'm going to say that i I do believe that Philip is one of the persons you sent your bar to because he's diabetic and we've been eating those bars, I believe, since the day that you sent them out, since you created them, <laughs> because they're not only delicious, but they're healthy. So I'm not at all surprised at the growth of your company. I love hearing you talk about it, though, because uh, it was faster and greater than even you expected. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and then kind of um, just to actually answer part of the other question that you said is when any, anyone's starting any business or doing anything, focus on just bringing value. Uh -huh. Like that is honestly the biggest advice I can give. Be so good that no one else can ignore you. Be the best freaking protein but on the market that no one else can ignore buying it, right? Bees bring so much value to every single community that even if you're in a crowded space, even if you're in a space that is dying, if you're that good and you're bringing value, people will come to you. Like I said, we started the company in 2010. Like the worst economic time 
to do it on a product that is considered a luxury item, a protein bar is not considered a, you know, a regular dietary need. And yet we still became a billion dollar company because we focused on value. At what point did you and your husband realize it was time to sell it? Oh, well, there's multiple things that really happened. So we had business partners who, um, over time, as the company got bigger and bigger, our visions um, somewhat changed. And so for me and my husband, because our background is film, it was so important for us to do content to also affect the mind. So if you think about protein bars as being, you know, Quest as being the nutrition for your body, we also think it's super important to have nutrition for the mind. Um For example, my own mother, she was growing up, she was somewhat anorexic, and then she became extremely obese. And every time I would try and help her, I had this nutrition company. I mean, Robin, I had one of the most successful nutrition companies. So I'm like, mom, like to me, it wasn't about the weight, right? It was about her health. So it's like, mom, I'll hire you a personal trainer. I'll I'll hire you a personal chef. I'll get you a gym membership. I'll build you a gym. Like, what is it that you want? And every time her answer was, I can't, I'm too old. And that was when it was like, wow, you have, you're helping people over here with the body, right? People are losing weight. People are gaining weight. They're anorexic. But what about the people that are so depressed or have anxiety, they can't even bring themselves to walk into a gym. Mm-hmm. And so here we are saying I, we want to help be people, but there's, there's a difference between saying it and acting on it. And because our backgrounds were film and because our business partners weren't into that side of it, uh-huh. me and my husband just said, okay, let's just take our finances. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's take our portion and let's start building Impact Theory as a content creation company. Um, if you think of Disney as being the most magical place on earth, Impact Theory uh-huh. to us is going to be the most empowering place on earth. So we uh-huh. do everything from, I do a talk show. My husband has a talk show. We also do comic books because we're doing empowerment content for young kids um we're going into the television and movie space to you know think of things like karate kid right the wax on wax off is really an analogy for life it's practice 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 until you get in the ring and you have to fight so it's so that's the type of content we want to do on the movie side so anyway that was a really long way of saying our we decided that our goal really was go all in on the content side because that ultimately was where our passion was. So we exited a day-to-day from the company a couple of years ago. Um, and Tom's business partners, they stayed, they you know kept running the company. But because all of us decided, okay, at this point, we don't see it as our forever company. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it up for sale. We had we all had a number, a billion dollars as a core number. So yeah. we're like, all right, like if we hit a billion dollars, let's sell it. Um, and so that was kind of how it happened. But to be honest, it was somewhat weird because we recently sold it, but I had emotionally moved on two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's great and it's super exciting to say billion dollars. But I'm going to be honest with you, Robin, my past is never going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so now I'm just like, all right, Lisa, you've got to beat it. So I'm so oh. focused on what I'm doing now, what I'm building now, what my future looks like, how I create way more impact than Quest ever did. Oh. Like I'm, it is heartbreaking to hear people when they say high school was the best time of my life. Like it's just heartbreaking. I love that. Wow. Like, what are you living for? So so every day, like, while it's super freaking cool to say, yep, Quest was a billion-dollar company, it's like, oh, man, I'm focused on making impact theory. I haven't won an Academy Award. 
I've been like, I'm not even half done, girl. I love so that. So I haven't made I haven't made a movie that's in a movie theater that has had hundreds of millions of people watch it. So it's like I still see my I'm only halfway through my journey. Oh, I love your I love your outlook because some people may say, Oh, how hard was it for you to transition from your quest company? your goal there into the film company and what you're doing now. How hard was that transition? I feel like I could answer this for you, or please tell me if I'm right. It's probably not at all a transition really that would be hard for you because I feel like what you're doing now is what you were put on this earth to do. Is that right? Oh, absolutely yes and not at all. <laughs> so, so what I mean by that is my heart has always been in content. So that was absolutely like my path has come back around and it's beautiful. Uh, but in what I have gone through has allowed me to be who I am today. And if I went straight into film, I don't think I would have had the mindset to have the, the tenacity and the resilience uh, that is going to come with Hollywood, is going to come with the next stage of my life. Uh Um, And then also knowing where my guidelines are. And it's like, look, the reason why we actually didn't go into film in the first place Uh and we went down the entrepreneurship route was because I had a movie gig and my husband did as well. And I was a photographer on set and I was like, oh my God, I've made it. Uh It's a movie. There are directors. I'm the photographer. This is a dream come true. This is before Quest. This is before I was a housewife. I'm like, a dream has come true. My career is just starting. And I went on that movie set, Robin, and I hated it. People were rude. People were stepping on me. I had an actor throw a match book at like a match, matches like a book at Uh me because he was annoyed at something and he and I literally, I stood up and I'm like, excuse me, like, you don't get to disrespect me like that. And I was like, I will get you a matchbook, you know, like, I, I will show you respect, but please show me respect back. And everyone held their breath. And, and after that, he was the nicest pie to me, by the way. But I turned around to my husband. I was like, if this is what Hollywood is, I don't want it. Because I am not willing to sell my soul. I am not willing to become somebody else. I'm not willing to step on someone to get to, to the heights. And I'm not going to do it if I'm not going to aim for the stars. So that's actually how and my husband had a very similar experience. And so in that was why we decided to not go the usual movie route. Yes. That's why we were like, well, let's just make our own money and make our own movies. And now no one can tell us what type of studio we run. Oh. Um, and so that's kind of how we all started. So, so what you were saying before wow. is, yes, I've come back to where I've always wanted to be and where my true heart has always wanted. But I think the path that I took was needed in order for me to succeed at this next uh-huh. stage. And Look, I say that with utter confidence and not confidence in myself at all, right? There's Uh never a guarantee. There's never a guarantee I'm going to win an Academy Award. There's never a guarantee that Impact Theory is going to be bigger than Quest. Like, I'm very aware of that. So even when I say it has to be bigger, I'm very aware that there's no guarantee. But I tell myself, going back to what we were saying earlier about words matter, Uh I tell myself I will. Because here's the thing. As long as I'm enjoying the journey, that's what matters. Wow. So... Right, like anyone that's listening, anything you set your mind to, there's no guarantee. Just because you've done it once, take the most successful movie stars in the world. They then all of a sudden have a movie that completely flops. It goes straight to DVD. You never hear of it again. And you're like, oh my God, but they just won an Academy Award. 
but there's right there's no guarantee so as long as you're still like acting that's what matters so for me even in this next evolution of my career it i tell myself what i went through was needed uh-huh. for me to succeed in the future but i tell myself i may not succeed but hey I love what I'm doing. And as long as I have my eye on the prize and I know it's possible, nothing can stop me. That is so powerful right there. You have your eye on the prize. Anything is possible, but you also know it's not always going to be a success only journey. Yeah. That. Because it's like, I, I will happily die trying, right? Yeah. Like, and it, as much as, especially now with the the corona and stuff, the uh-huh. truth is, is like, I and I used to say this before, but like, I don't know if I'm going to step out my house and get hit by a car. Like, I don't need to be morbid. I use that as empowering. I'm like, oh, now that doesn't mean go and just do whatever you like, right? Live right. a life of, uh, you know, I mean, if you want, go ahead. But for me, it's like, okay, so every day I, sh- I need to be doing something that I love, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if I meet my inadequacies every day, if I still love what I'm doing and I end up getting hit by a car, which means I don't succeed, I'm not going to hate on that. <laughs> like I'm going <laughs> to love the fact that I enjoyed my life, right? So. Exactly. At least you're doing what you love and, yes. and no one else can, bl- you can't blame yourself or, or for any failure because you are at least doing what you love. Yeah. Or in service or something you love, right? Yeah. So, because it's like every day, I'm going to be honest, there are things that I freaking hate. Like there, there are things to a business, I'm sure you know, that are just tedious. I freaking hate it. I don't want to look at P&Ls. I want to be creating. Yeah. I don't want to be doing dealing with, you know, employee contracts. I want to be creating. But when I'm doing that, and there are days that I'm hating, I remind myself it's in service of something That's right. I love. That's right. So how did women of impact come from impact theory? So I was always behind the scenes. I, I had no desire of ever being in front of the camera. That was not my thing. I was definitely a, I'm a grinder behind the scenes. I make shit happen. Like I make sure that I am, you know, always reliable, the person people can turn to. And over time, everything that we've been talking about in this whole interview, it was all happening in real time. So it never occurred to me that, oh, someone might find this empowering. Oh, someone else is struggling with that. Like none of that occurred to me. I was just like, oh my God, get your shit together. Figure things out, Lisa. You're not living a life you want to. I'm not sure if I want kids now. How do I handle that? And so in real time, I was just kind of doing things. And over time, the more my husband stepped in front of the camera, the more we were building impact theory. You know, once we got to about 3 million in our ecosystem of followers, just inevitably people started following me and looking at me because of Tom. Uh You know, who's Lisa? Who's Tom's wife? And so as I was just, I talk about my health issues. I've suffered from massive health issues for four years. I talk about the fact that I've I've chosen to not have children and I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home wife with four kids. So I was just talking about it on my social, to be honest. And over time, people were like, oh my God, this is so powerful. Oh my God, me too. Lisa, you just helped. And it becomes an addiction, right? It becomes like an addiction of like, oh, all the struggles I've gone through, and in fact, not even, I don't want to say an addiction, it's become a way of healing. Because now I don't look back at my past and all these hardships and these struggles as a, um, I don't look and think of myself as a victim or something that was really struggling and really hard for me to overcome while it was. I see it as like an empowering story now. Right. And that, and so I've lent into that, right? It was like, do I want to tell these stories? Okay, well, if I can help someone why wouldn't you tell your story and going back to like 
putting putting my ego first or putting like you know my self-esteem over helping someone that doesn't jive with who I am who I want to be who I want to show up as um I just interviewed a lady called Lisa Nichols who is amazing and she literally says one advice is write your obituary here lies a woman who So if you had to write your own obituary, what would you want them to say? Here lies a woman who, and now it's like, now go be that person. Yes. So, you know, so it's kind of like, who do you want to be and start being that person? But all of this was happening internally for me until I started getting feedback that people really wanted to hear it. And then I started asking myself, what does, what do I want my obituary to be? Who do I want to be? And it really is to help others. I mean, you know, the, the beauty about success is you can decide right for you. You don't have to do this. Robin, you could be at home right now with that cocktail that you just told us about <laughs> hanging out with your mates and, you know, enjoying your life. That's right. But you choose not to. That's right. Why? Because you, this probably this doesn't fulfill you. That's, there is, you feel like a bigger purpose. That, that's exactly right. You know, I, and, and I, I believe that what you just said is so true and so important for the listeners to hear. Uh, there are so many areas in anyone's life that can fulfill them. And that's what's so important to decide what, what it is and how many areas in your life that fulfill you and, and to focus on that. Because you're right, I could be at home enjoying that cocktail, but I, I choose to be here listening to you, being inspired by you, uh, allowing you to inspire all of the listeners. That that is just so much more important to me, and I and you're filling me up. So I thank you so much for that. And that's oh. it's it's just so important to me. And and then when we finish here, I'll go home. I'll I'll sit with my husband. I'll play with my grandchildren. I'll speak with my own children or whatever. But it will always yeah. be something that brings me joy in my life. And I think that's so important that the listeners hear that from you and from me and from the others out there that it's so important to identify what brings us joy in our life and what we feel yeah. is important to us. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that would be my path. Like I really didn't. I had, I wanted to be a movie director, like Catherine Bigelow beat me to winning the first Academy female winning an Academy award. But like I said, that was what I was gunning for. Mm -hmm. And so now I've just kind of reframed, focused on the impact, but also going to why I started women of impact is I think you have to fuel yourself first before you can show up for other people. Oh, definitely. As cliche as it sounds, right? Like put the oxygen mask on yourself. And while in women of impact initially was like, oh, I want to like sh help showcase these amazing women. I have a studio. So I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and then do it. And then afterwards I started realizing it was a Trojan horse. It was all for my own sake. Like literally I am now, I love interviewing women because like you said, I get fueled by them. Uh -huh. There's one piece of nugget that I'm going to learn from each person. And then what did I say earlier? I'm the learner. So now I'm getting better. I'm getting more powerful within myself and I get more excited about it. So, so the, the show women of impact became a kind of, you know how they say who are the five people you surround yourself with? Uh -huh. it, I felt like that with the show. It's like, all these women that I'm bringing on, the, the interviews that I do, the podcast interviews that I do coming on here, it's like, I really selfishly wanted to talk to you, Robin. So I was like, I don't care. Like, no offense to your audience listening. 
audience, I love you guys. But in all honesty, I came, like, I have no idea how many people you reach. I literally just said, oh my God, absolutely. Robin McGraw, she's freaking awesome. I want to talk to her. And so that's what fuels me. But that is so important because for so long, I was giving my time, effort, and energy to everybody else except Uh me. Oh, and you know, and first of all, thank you so much for that compliment. It means the world to me because I feel exactly the same way about you. (laughs) And I will, I do have to say though, my mission statement, if I had to give one mission statement about me, who I am, what I stand for, it is... You must put yourself first. You must take care of yourself so you can take care of those you love. It is not selfish to put yourself first. It is not selfish to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you cannot and will not be able to take care of those you love. And so I take care of myself. I put myself first. I I don't believe it's selfish. I think that the better my health is, the longer I'll live and the longer I can be here for my family. And I can be sitting in this chair and talking to you and allowing your brilliance to be shared with so many out there listening. So thank you so much. Of course. And I think that that's a massive testament, what you just said, to why you've been married for so long, right? It's it's making sure that you take time. Like me and my husband, like I said, we've been married for 18 years. And every weekend we sit down and I say, babe, what's your selfish desire? Oh. And it's... And it, don't think about the other person. Like literally don't think about the other person and just say what you want to do. And I do the same. And what we do every weekend, Robin, is we go, okay, cool. So I'm going to, so I draw, it's my creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to draw while you go and watch your anime. And we just time our selfish time uh-huh. so that we do it at the same time. And then we say, cool, and we're going to get together at one o'clock and we're going to have lunch together. Oh. And when we come together at lunch, we're so energized because we've just had that time to ourselves. I switch my phone off. I don't let anyone disturb me. No one, like literally, if it's an emergency, just, I'm screwed because uh-huh. I've, I've, I've shut out the world. Uh-huh. But I, I, I show up after that and that. That's how I do it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Philip and I just, well, just maybe three, now it's been three weeks ago, celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's so amazing. 44th wedding anniversary. And I can honestly say that I honestly believe every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed, I know I am loved by that man. Hmm. I love that. And look, that takes hard work and consistency yes. and sacrifice. Yes. And, you know, and because it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to know every time you go to bed that's that that's true. true. That, that is so true. So we've come to another time in the podcast that I do with every podcast I spoke right. about earlier. And it's a game. We play a game. How do you feel about playing games? I'm obsessed with games, Robin. Oh, I am too. I'm obsessed with games. I've got a ping pong table. I've got a foosball table. We have a family game cup that we play every Christmas. That's how much I'm into games. Oh, I love it. I'm so into (laughs) games as well. So the name of this game that we're going to play is called Calorie Count. (laughs) Oh, no. All right, let's do it. I'm going to be so bad at this. Okay, so I'm going to list off two items. Okay. And we're guessing which one of these items has the highest calorie count. Okay. All right. Oh, <laughs> so I love now, this. I also want to mention 
the, to the secret squad that we're just having fun here. So the calorie count of an item does not necessarily indicate its health value. So don't you agree, Lisa? <laughs> like, I couldn't agree more. I actually don't calorie count. I used all the time. And now I just go to what's the quality of my food. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I do. I do not count calories. But so I want the secret squad out there to, to remember this is just a game. So, okay, now let's get started. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. A slice of deli ham or a slice of American cheese? Ooh, calories only. Yeah. I actually think the cheese does. It is. It's the cheese. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> Can you believe that? I was going to say deli ham, but okay. Now, number two, Taco Bell Crunch Wrap Supreme or a slice of pecan pie? Oh, man. So I've never had a taco. What do you call it? <laughs> the Crunch Wrap Supreme. Yeah, I've never had one, but 100% my money all goes on the pecan pie because I've heard they are so freaking high in calories, yep. it's a comical. Uh, you know what? My I'm going to tell you something. One time my sister-in-law walked in and she had started a new diet. And I can't even, I, I don't do diets. Like I don't, I, I don't, I can't, I can't do it like a diet, diet. Right. Tell me I can't have something, I'm going to have it. <laughs> so she walked in and she had started this new diet and she was reading a book about it. And she told, she was telling me the top three most high calorie foods in all of the world. And the number one was pecan pie. I will never forget that. And I was like, gosh, I'm so glad I don't like pecan pie, but pecan pie is the answer. The funny thing, I never even heard of it until I came to the States. Um, and then I tried and I was like, oh my God, this is delicious. Um, and then, yeah, I heard it was like one of the highest calorie foods. And same with the cheesecake, like that completely <gasps> ruined it for me. Really? When they put it on the menu. Yeah, the mm. Cheesecake Factory, they put the calories on the menu. Yeah. I personally believe we should have an option menu with calories, menu without calories, yeah, because I, I think that, especially for someone like myself who definitely struggled with calorie counting in the past, yeah. I, it's just unhealthy. Yeah. Like I, I've trashed my, my, my weight, uh, my scale. Like I, I make <laughs> it a point to not look at nutritional value now uh -huh. because I know my weaknesses and I know that I can get very obsessive. Yeah. So the fact that, yeah, like people put like it on menus is, um, I'm shocked. Interesting. They shouldn't do I that. Think it's, People will. I think it's law, though, in certain states. Oh, yeah. Okay. I well, think in Washington, it's it's law. I oh, think. Wow. I didn't know that because yeah. I, I would be. I, I wouldn't want to see that because if I go into a restaurant to eat, I want to really enjoy it. But exactly. I, I don't count <laughs> calories. But and you know, I I don't really weigh myself very often. Okay. All right. So the next one is. Uh, Burger King French fries or okay. McDonald's French fries? Oh, are they the same size? Yes, I think they're the oh, same size. Not? Okay. All right. Now, well, I used to work at Burger King. That was my first job really? at 16. I worked at a yeah. Dairy Queen. Did you really? Yes, I did. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I learned a lot of listeners working at that Burger King. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go with McDonald's. McDonald's fries because it's so freaking good. I assume they add more calories to make it taste they, nice. They are, they're good. They're really good. And you know what? McDonald's, it's the answer is McDonald's. Is it really? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, it must be that magic sprinkle just has a lot of calories on it. You know what I heard? <laughs> I heard that they put sugar in their, on their fries. Oh, I'm not surprised. Enemies here. But yeah, I heard uh, that they put add sugar. I mean, look, at the point that I'm having McDonald's fries, I've just accepted I'm not eating healthy. I know. I, I don't care. I don't care. I used to I used to pick up a Happy Meal on the way to pick up my youngest son from school. I'd pick one up for him and I'd pick one up for myself. And I'd I eat it while that. waiting for him to come out. <laughs> okay. That's so the awesome. next question, two Reese's Cups or one Snickers bar? Ooh. Ooh. Well, if you break down the Snickers bar, there's got peanuts in it, which is very high calories. It's got many layers, whereas a peanut butter cup, yeah, yeah, with a peanut butter cup is somewhat simple ingredients. So I'm going to go with the Snickers. You know what? It's Reese's Cups. It has 232 calories and an entire Snicker bar has 215. Interesting. I'm so surprised. I know. I, don't, I can't eat peanut butter, so I never have the Reese's Cups. Oh. I'm allergic. Okay. One cup of apple juice or one cup of Coca-Cola? Ooh, interesting. Ooh. Ooh. I had a whole discussion with my friends about Coke and orange juice. Like, yeah, God. Um, I don't know calories, though. Wow. I don't drink Coke. You're going to be surprised. That means it's or- the, the apples. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I just told it. It's apple juice. A cup yeah, of how apple many juice. Wow, I'm shocked. Apple juice yeah, has 117 and Coca-Cola has 102. I'd be curious to know how, which one has more sugar. I guess it's that apple juice. That's crazy. I don't know. Do you think it's apple? I don't know. I'm so curious. It's the now. apple juice. I guess it's the sugar but. Okay, the next one, chips and guacamole from Chipotle or a Burger King Whopper. Wow. Hmm. I'm going to have to say, I don't even know the answer yet, but if you're having chips and guacamole, you're going to have a margarita, so it's going to have to be. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to go with chips and guacamole. It goes with it, right? Like, yeah. Um, Chips and guac, I mean, avocado is very high in calories, but so is the beef that they use in the burger. And then, yeah, I mean, like a Whopper from Burger King. Yeah, Whopper's a big one. I'm going to go with the Whopper, I think. But do you know what the answer because is? It, is it the chips? It is the chips and guacamole. It has 800 wow. calories. And a Whopper from what? Burger King has 630 calories. Hang on. Chips and guacamole. That's it. That's it. 800 calories. Yes. From Chipotle. Yeah. That's insane. So have that margarita. Wow. I know. Because it, <laughs> have that have that whopper yeah, with the margarita. And that was the equivalent. <laughs> okay. A slice of cheese pizza or basic eight piece sushi roll. Oh, pizza. Wow. You're gonna throw me and say the sushi? My gut is the my answer is the pizza. No, oh. it's the sushi roll. I'm shocked. What's in a sushi? Oh, I don't God. eat sushi, though. One slice of cheese pizza is less than 250 calories, and a basic eight-piece sushi roll is around 300 calories. Interesting. Wow. Hmm. You got me there. You eat sushi? The funny thing is, I was like, for some reason, it's, I love sushi. Um, 
I thought like it's gonna be sushi, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Okay, a mo- a mojito or a serving of tortilla chips. Does it really matter? Mm. You have a mojito <laughs> in your hand together. <laughs> just yeah, just have them together. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Okay, so um, mo- I'll say mojito. A mojito is the answer because one mojito is more than two hundred calories. But who cares? And one serving of tortilla chips is about 150. You know, if you want to have a drink. There's nothing wrong with, exactly. Who cares about that, girl? (laughs) Okay, this is. But but I actually think it's super healthy to be talking about not worrying about it. Me too. Like, honestly, I think. Yeah, don't worry about it. I've. Yeah, me, I mean, like I said earlier, I have um, counted calories so much in my life that I think it's so healthy to actually meet. Because I've met so many women that everyone's like, oh my God, me too. So it's actually rare to meet a woman who didn't. So I'm actually, that's why I kind of want to just emphasize and point that out because that's so empowering. Here's the Mm -hmm. final question. A waffle or a bowl of granola? Hmm. I don't eat either, so I'm not actually sure. I don't. I eat waffles. You know what the answer is? Now, the is? question is, is that with syrup? Was it with syrup or without syrup? It doesn't say. It's just, just the waffle. So um, the answer, are you ready? I'm going to go with a granola if there's no you, syrup yes, on the waffle. Yes, you're right. It's the granola. Hmm. How funny. A waffle is less than 150 calories, and half yeah. of a cup, just half of a cup of granola is at least 180 calories plus milk. Yeah, a waffle in in and of its own isn't too bad. Obviously, it depends on how much sugar and flour you put in. True. But I think it, it becomes all the added stuff that gets it so high. Yeah, I think you're right. Butter and the, and the syrup and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was a fun game. <laughs> well, that's unfortunately all of the time that we have for today, Lisa. And I'm just so thankful for you and all of your inspiration. This was so much fun. The amount that you've accomplished is just incredible. Oh, thank you, sweetie. And thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, hopefully over the next few months as this starts to die down, I mean, I'm, I'm in LA. You, you are in LA, is that cool? Yes, yes. Yeah, like let's 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 hang out. Let's meet up in person. Oh, and, I would just um, be thrilled to I, do that. M- me too, girl. Let's make sure we do oh, that. Could you please tell uh, all of our listeners where they can find you on social media, all the information about uh, impact theory and, and the women of uh, today? So where, where would they go to find, find you? Yeah, thank you. So um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I tell a lot of like fun stories. So that's at Lisa Bilyeu. Um, on YouTube, I do I do an interview show, but I also have just started doing these new fun tips videos. So it's, you know, um, tips on how to decide if you want children, um, tips on how to manage your emotions, things like that. So go over to YouTube, Women of Impact. Um, and then I'm also on podcasts as well. If you're a podcast listener, Women of Impact. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay, Secret Squad, you know the drill. Head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for videos, behind the scenes, photos, drink recipes, and weekly blogs. And thank you to everyone for your glowing comments on this podcast page. Keep them coming. Meet me back here next Wednesday. Bye-bye.